Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. sometime during the week working on it. I enjoy it a lot. The Bible says, and if you if you look at it, we've been we've been talking about this for a little while here. Uh, if you're not familiar and you haven't been here up until this time, um, let me just give you a quick overview. Uh, during the time that the people of Israel left Egypt, if you're if you're not familiar with that, I'm not going to tell you the whole Bible story, but the people of Israel were in Egypt. God delivered them from Egypt, and they ended up in the wilderness wandering. And uh, <clears throat> during this time, God met with Moses, who had been there, who was their leader, and set up a place for God to have fellowship with his people. The Hebrews were the chosen people of God. And so what happened was that they built a tabernacle in the wilderness. And tabernacle, the word for tabernacle uh, also means tent, a place of meeting. In fact, originally it was called the tabernacle of the congregation and then it became the tabernacle in the wilderness. Um, and uh, it was a place of meeting where God would meet with man. It was a place where God would fellowship with man. And in this tabernacle, if you look into Hebrews, and I'm not going to go into all of that. We've already covered that, and I don't want to cover all of these things before. If you look at Hebrews, the Bible explains this. I'm going to paraphrase this and make it as simple as possible. The Bible explains the tabernacle that was in the wilderness and so many other things were types and and shadows of the New Testament. So, so a lot of what you see in the Old Testament are shadows or types of, or parallels, patterns, if you will, of the New Testament and of Christ and of salvation and so on. And the tabernacle especially was mentioned in Hebrews that the things of the tabernacle were a type of the things to come. And so whenever we begin to look at the tabernacle, we begin to see it's a fascinating thing. And we talked a little bit about the structure of the tabernacle and the, and I have some pictures, but I don't know how we're going to bring them up uh, exactly. And we may work with them as we go, but um, do we have a, do we have a picture? No, I don't want that. That is a video. I don't want a video. Okay, this is a this is a pretty decent one. This one gives us an idea of the shape of the tabernacle and uh, and the size of the tabernacle and so on. 
The Bible says, just leave that up there, Exodus 27 and 9. Then thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. And for the south side southward shall be the hangs of the court of fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. And, and, uh, and so, and it goes on from there. The tabernacle, the courtyard uh, of the tabernacle. Well, if you don't know what the tabernacle was, it was a building. It was basically a tent. And this is really loud. I don't know. Is this loud out there? Or is it all right? Are we good? Um, it's a tent that, that was surrounded by a fence, if you will. And what you're seeing here is that little box in the middle is the actual tent. And that was the tabernacle itself. And these little dotted areas are the posts of the, um, of the courtyard. It's interesting about all of this. And, 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 and this all leads somewhere. But, but there was restrictions that were connected to the tabernacle. The courtyard was open to everybody who was part of the land or the people of Israel. The Hebrews. It was also would be open to those that were what we would call proselytes to Judaism. Uh, and you need to understand that to become a Jew, there were people that became Jews who were not of Jewish lineage, but they converted to Judaism. And, uh, and so uh, it was open to them. But the stranger, the stranger could not go into the courtyard. Um, only those that were, were Jews or Hebrews could go there or uh, that, were, that followed the Jewish religion. And, um, and every step into this became more and more restricted. The courtyard was only for those that were the Jews. And then inside of the tent of the meeting or the tabernacle in the wilderness, there were two sections in the tabernacle. There was the holy place, which was about 30 by 10, or actually, the, I, I, the, the, uh, uh, those are, oh, excuse me, those are cubits right there. Um, a cubit is about 18 inches or so, depending on which cubit you're getting. There's a great cubit, which is 21 or 22, but the average cubit is about a foot and a half. So the size of the courtyard was 150 feet long by 75 feet. Let's go back to the other deal. By 75 feet um, wide. If you want to get an idea what that is, this lot is 75 feet wide by 100 feet long. So figure 150 feet longer than that was the size of the um, of the tabernacle or the courtyard. The tabernacle itself was about 30 feet wide by, uh, I'm trying to think, it was 30, it was 30 feet wide. It wasn't quite, no, 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 it was 15 feet wide by 30 feet long in the holy place and 15 by 15. We're trying, I'm running cubits and stuff. It, it, was, uh, it was 15 by 15 in the holiest of holies. So it was 30, um, it was a little, not, not, not near as wide as this. In fact, it was only about half as wide as this. And 30, 40, about 45 feet, it was about 10 feet longer. So you get an idea how, it wasn't a big, big building. Now when you got into the temple, it was a different situation. Solomon's temple and so on. But the actual tabernacle was a very small building. And, uh, and, and in a moment, we might go ahead with that video in just a moment, just to give an idea of the dimensions when you're walking in and that sort of thing. It wasn't a real large place, um, but there was restrictions. The courtyard was only for the Hebrews. The, um, the holy place was only for the Levitical priesthood. And the holiest of holies was only for who? The 
the high priest. Here's a question for you if you've done any study. How many times a year did the high priest go in the Holy Spirit? One time. Anybody know what day that was? The Day of Atonement. Yes. It was the Day of Atonement. What they call Yom Kippur. Exactly. You got it. It was the day of one time a year the high priest went to the Holy Spirit. Um, does anybody know what he had around the robe? The bottom of his robe? Bells or what else? Pomegranates. Yeah, they were golden pomegranates around the. Uh, why was that? Because if he died, they would know because the bell wasn't. Right, because it wouldn't ring anymore. Because if he went in and he was not right with God, God would strike him down. God did not play games when it came to his place of meeting. Amen. And so this is kind of an idea of what we're looking at here. Um, there was the the, the the tent or the tabernacle at one end. It's fascinating here because if you begin to look at the courtyard, you'll notice something, and, and I'm, I'm going to be going somewhere with all of this, but you'll notice something about the fence that was around the courtyard. Um, the posts themselves were made of brass with a silver cap and a bronze uh, bottom that sunk down into the ground. And this is a, a, a great picture. They had, they had along the top, Along the top were silver rods, I believe it was silver rods, that ran along there, and then um, and, and through little little um, hooks that were there, they ran tent pegs down, brass tent peg, pegs, 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 so they could hold it there, and uh, and then and then they had white linen that was the curtain or the fence of the courtyard, and there and you're like, why did they need a why did they need a courtyard there? Um, and so, but there's several things that we need to keep in mind. Number one, I mentioned this last week, I believe it was, but at the front of the courtyard, there was a gate. In the tabernacle of the wilderness, there was one gate and one door and one veil. Every step that you made going into this place, you had to go one way. There's no back door around here. There's no back door on the side of the tabernacle. There's no upstairs you can climb down and drop down in. You went through the gate, which is 35 feet wide, and it was, and then you went through there, and then you went through the door, and then you went through the veil, and, and there was no way in. What are we talking about? There's only one way to God. Amen. Amen. There is not a variety of ways. I remember one time I was doing outreach on the street. I was, I was knocking doors and I knocked on this one lady's door and she made a statement to me. She said, you know, uh, heaven is like Rome. They used to say all roads lead to Rome. And she said, heaven's that way. You can get there any way you want. If you want to go uh, this way or you want to go that way, you want to be a Buddhist or a Muslim or, or a Hindu or a Christian, it's fine, but everybody's going to go. That's not what the scripture teaches them. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. He said, I am the door. Amen. There's only one way. And we're going to, as we go on in this, we're going to talk about that even more. But there was only one way to get in. You walked in the front door into the courtyard. Amen. It's the only way. You don't go in and out some other way. Amen. There's dangerous things out there, but there's safety in the house of God. And so you would see around that was this white linen, which was, and it's fascinating because all around were thousands and thousands of tents of a, probably a multi-hue of colors and, 
and maybe a darker. In fact, they said that the goat skins uh, that they used were more than likely in that part of the country black. Uh, and so you had a lot of darker colored ones and everything. So the, the tabernacle, the gate or the fence around that stood out with that white linen. And when people would come walking from afar and look from a hill and look over there, they'd see all these tents. And right in the middle was this white fence. What's that? Not a white picket fence, but it's a white fence. Amen. White was the sign, the white linen was the sign of the righteousness of the saints. And it stood out, amen, in the midst of a dark world. Amen. And so you would come in and walk in inside of the, a courtyard. And uh, I'm going to do my very best tonight not to do a lot of chasing rabbits. But in the, inside of the courtyard, there were two, um, some people say I chase rabbits. You know what that means? I'm going to chase rabbits here for a minute. That means I'm wandering all over the place talking about stuff that really doesn't make all that different. But uh, so, <laughs> um, inside the courtyard, there were rabbits sometimes. No. Uh, <laughs> inside the courtyard, there were two, two articles of furniture. Can anybody name them? The brazen altar and the brazen labor. We won't get into them right now. We will a little later on. But uh, uh, we won't get into them. And so when you walked in, there were those two. When you walked into the tabernacle itself, into what was called the holy place, and, and that was the first part of the tabernacle, there were three items of furniture. Um, somebody named the, the piece of furniture that was to the left. No, the brazen lady was outside. We're inside now. Candlestick. Somebody else named the article of furniture that was to the right. Table, Table of shoe bread. What was the article of furniture that was directly in front of you before the veil? No, the menorah was to the left. Altar of incense. Altar of incense. All right. Where was the couch? Okay, there wasn't a couch, was it? They didn't sit down in there. You know what I'm saying? It's like... It's EVPC, man. There were so we don't hardly sit down. Amen. There wasn't anywhere to sit down. That's kind of interesting. Um, and so when you walked in, you know what? It takes it just a couple minutes. Let's run that little video real quick. Just for, just, it's kind of interesting. I like it. Holiest of holies. 
go to the veil into the holiest of holies, you've got what is called the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. That's the Mercy Seat. The, the Ark or the cabinet below that was the, um, was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's interesting is when you go into the, into the tabernacle and, and, uh, and you, you begin to look around inside of there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that a little bit. You've got the courtyard that's, that's uh, there. There were, several, there were several things about this fence that I want to talk about for just a second, though. What was the purpose of it? Number one, it was a barrier. It, presented, or it prevented unlawful approach and preserve the sanctity of the tabernacle. It was also a protection. Here's something that I got to thinking about whenever I was studying here. It kept things that should not be in there out. Animals. You know, the Bible, we, everybody likes dogs, or most people like dogs, but the Bible's not real. When it talks about dogs, it's, 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 sometimes it says, speaks about dogs as being evil spirits and things like that. I've, a few, I've known a few... I'm, I'm relatively positive that Chihuahuas <clears throat> are demon spawn. But anyway, um, <laughs> but it would keep it would keep wild animals at bay and other things like that that shouldn't be there. The, the house of God's not a circus. Amen. Come on now. Amen. And I'm going to tell you this: animalistic and worldly things are, have no place in the house of God. Amen. Amen. There are things that people have introduced into into churches. That are just wrong. It kept that. There was a distinct line of demarcation. It was called what you would call separation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore come out from among them. And be ye separate saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you. There was a line that was drawn. Between the world and what was right. There was a line that was drawn. Between the clean and the unclean. If you came in there. There were certain things that you had to do. People don't like that in today's society. Right. They don't like churches or preachers who get up and say, if you're going to live for God, you need to repent of your sin. Right. If you're going to live for God, you need to clean up your life. They'll say, that's works. That's not works. That's not works. We're ordained to good works. Yes, that's not works. So that's the, that's the delivering power of the Holy Ghost changing somebody's life. Amen. When you are cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, things begin to change in you. Amen. Amen. But people don't like that. But here's the tabernacle. And there was a clear line of demarcation. There was one approach. Amen. And that was the only way that you could get there. Once you got past that and into the actual tent of the tabernacle, we talked about the dimensions of that. It's interesting. It's interesting that when you look at it, it was uh, 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet tall. The holiest of holies was a perfect cube, 15 feet on all sides. And um, when you walked in to the gate of the tabernacle or into the, in the gate of the courtyard or into the door of the tabernacle, there were curtains that were there that were blue purple and scarlet and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes intertwined with fine linen. Now the construction of the tabernacle was like this and I'm not going to go into deep detail like every single fillet and every single board and how how long they were and, and how many there were and all of that. If you want to, uh, you can go to Exodus starting about the 24th, 25th chapter and you can find all of that out. Um, I would suggest reading it in King James Version 
and then maybe getting one like uh, maybe in plain English or something like that to understand it a little better. But you, you would come in there and the walls were built, made out of acacia wood, which uh, is, a, is not always the easiest wood to find a long straight um, board out of, but it's made out of acacia wood. They were, uh, had silver foundations. They were covered with gold. And, uh, and they had acacia wood poles that held them together and then they connected uh, and so on. And, uh, and so when you walked in, as you saw in here, it was all gold walls. It was all gold. It was worth a ton of money and silver at um, the, the end of that. And then when you looked at the end, there was the veil that separated between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. And uh, which that veil, if you understand something, was a very restrictive thing. But whenever we begin to look at what it was a type of and the beauty of that, the type of Jesus Christ, the veil was a type of the flesh and the body of Jesus Christ that was torn for us and it was broken for us. And so then we begin to look at some other things. First of all, I'm going to read this and I'm going to go... Uh, um, it says, moreover, in 26, Exodus 26, Thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine, laid in blue and purple and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. Thou shalt make curtains of goat hair to be covering upon the tabernacle. And thou shalt make coverings of a tent of ram skin, dyed red, and a covering above of badger skin. So here is what we have here. Let's start from the outside in. On the very top of it, where was a covering of badger skins, right. and uh, the outer covering was badger skins. It was a, a, a basically a something that was not of much beauty. It was uh, plain, probably a brown cover. The Bible says this, and here is where we start getting into Jesus Christ and the tabernacle being a type of Jesus Christ. Let me go back a little bit. Let's go actually forward a little bit. When the Bible says in John 1 and 14 that, that, that the Word became flesh. Speaking of Jesus, the Word, the expression of God. Amen. The Logos became flesh. And I talked about this not too long ago. I preached on it many times. The Logos, God's very expression. God's very word, amen, the plan from the very beginning, the, the, all of that that God had planned to do, it became flesh. Who was that flesh? Jesus Christ. And it dwelt among us, amen. Dwelt, the word in there means tabernacled among us. In other words, Jesus was the tabernacle, amen. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, amen. He was the manifestation, the bodily manifestation, the fleshly manifestation of the Almighty God. Amen. Now the scripture says this, for he shall grow up before him, Isaiah 53 and 2, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should 
desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and, and, and we esteemed him not. When people would step on a hillside and look down upon the camp, they would see all the tents. They would see the white fence all around the tabernacle. And then they would see this drab brown building in the middle. I imagine people would look at that and say, huh? That's your temple? That's where your God dwells? Jesus walked amongst them and those that were knew him said, it's the carpenter's son. Yeah, come on now. We know his mother and his siblings. Are you kidding? Amen. And so they looked at that. But this was what Jesus was. Jesus, he wasn't a big, tall, Olympic God looking person. Amen. He looked like you and he looked like me. Amen. I doubt if he was head and shoulders like Saul was. He may have been, he may have just been an average guy. But what you could not see was what really made a difference. And when you looked at the tabernacle, what you saw on the outside, amen, was just the covering. Amen. It was just the flesh. Amen. But inside, and when you got inside, you begin to see some things that were so important. The next one down was ram skins dyed red. Amen. This was a type of, amen, and an animal of substitution. Whenever Isaac and Abraham, when Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice, the Bible says in Genesis 22 and 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for burnt offering in the stead of his son. Amen. Instead of Isaac, a ram was offered. It's a substitutionary offering. And the scripture says this in 1 John 2 and 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Amen. So now we've got the flesh, the outside. It doesn't look like, like much. But then we start digging a little deeper into Jesus Christ. And we find out that, that the blood that was shed, amen, was the propitiation. It was the atonement. It was the thing that bought my salvation. After that was the goat's hair. The next thing was the type was goat's hair. Amen. Goats were sin offering. You have the scapegoat. The sinners in Matthew 25. It says there's a sheep and the goats. And the scripture says this. For he hath made him to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we've got this fleshly tabernacle. Amen. Dig a little deeper. We find out that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. Dig a little deeper. We find out that Jesus took our sins upon him. Amen. Suddenly the tabernacle begins to look a little different than just a building out there in the middle of the desert. 
Amen. Suddenly the tabernacle begins to shine forth. Man, this is something else. Amen. And then there's that curtain that covers everything. There's the gold, which is a type of royalty. Amen. And then there's that curtain. Amen. It was fine twine linen inside of blue and purple and scarlet. Let me show you some things here. Blue is the color of divinity, the color of the heavens. Scarlet is the color of blood or humanity. And purple is the blending of the two to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world. And the white linen, the spotless purity of Christ. But with the precious Peter said in 1 Peter 1.19 of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. It's interesting because both of the, the, the coverings above and the veil are made out of the same thing. Same color scheme. Amen. Same decoration in them. He's so cherubims. Why cherubims? I believe that this was a type of the throne room of Christ. Amen. The throne room of God. Right. Psalms 91 says this. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. Psalms 81. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph. That's yeah, talking about Jesus. Right. Like a flock. Thou that dwellest between the cherubims. We find in both revelations and and in, uh, in, in Isaiah, where the angels were around the throne of God. Amen. And so there we have, so fascinating, we find this, the covering here. And like I said, all of a sudden, the tabernacle begins to change. I'm not going to get into the, into the um, I'm not going to get into the um, furniture tonight. I'm just going to go through, and we're going to talk about the veil in a little bit more. But, uh, but, um, we begin to realize that this is this is something else. Here's something that is interesting to me, and I may even I I, I called Brother O'Brien today. I said, "Hey, I want to ask you a question." I said, "I said I'm teaching on the tabernacle." I told him this. We talked about it, and I said, um, "You know, the walls were made of acacia wood with gold, and the ceiling was was fine linen entwined and." And with blue and red and scar uh, scarlet and um, purple. And uh, I said, what was the floor made of? Anybody know what the floor was made of? There was no floor. And I honestly, I, while I was studying, I thought. So I got to looking around. I was like, what's the floor made of? How many times have I read this and haven't noticed this? And I... I got to thinking, I'll almost guarantee you that every tent, this is just me talking, okay? Call it a rabbit trail if you want. But I'll almost guarantee you that every tent that was there had a floor of some sort. How many of you have camped in tents? I know a lot, most of you have. Did you have a floor in your tent? Do you think those people that lived in those tents wanted to be on dirt? They probably put down canvas of some sort or rugs or animal skins or whatever. They had a floor there. And yet the tabernacle did not have a floor. You had unbelievable opulent walls covered with gold. And, and, the, and the value was unbelievable, but there was no floor there. Anybody got any ideas why that was? 
You know, I, I actually think that you're onto something there. There's a couple of things that I started, immediately started thinking. I called Brother O'Brien, and, and, uh, and he, he said, well, I, I wouldn't preach anything as doctrine, but this is kind of interesting. Then he called me back. He said, you know, there's some other things I've been noticing. Um, we, we came from dust. There's a whole lot of little things here. We came from dust. And, and not only that, but the Bible says that the serpent is going to eat dust all the days of his life. And then there's another interesting scripture that tells us about a little test that is done. And, and if you're not, you know what that test is? If a woman, if a husband comes in, he's jealous of his wife, he thinks that she is, of, that she, he's che she's cheating on him, then the Bible says they'll take holy water, which would be from the labor, which is the only water that would be there, and then they would mix the dust of the floor of the tabernacle with that. Yep. And she would drink it, yes. But um, the priest also, if someone was convicted of something, what they would do is they would write what you were convicted of on the dust of the earth. And that's another one. Jesus wrote into the dust of the earth. But the priest did that in the temple. In the te temple, right. And so you've got all of these little things. There, and I said, you know what, Brother Brian? I said, I, I wonder if they're, like you said, this is just a reminder of the other side of the coin here when you walk into the tabernacle. And we were just kind of kicking it around. There were other things that were mentioned. And, and, uh, and there was like when blood was shed, they would cover it up with dust and things like that. And so here we have the floor that is it's just something. You can think about this. I'm not preaching any doctrine. But it almost feels like all of this we've got the... We've got the table of shoe bread, which is which is the bread of life. And we'll talk about that. The altar mentioned talking about praise and, and the and the light of the world over here and the menorah and the power and the presence of the Lord. And here's dust. It's like this is all great, but this is what's going to happen. Amen. There's a curse involved if you come into this place and and you come in, in the wrong way. Amen. There's a curse involved if you reject the word of God. And, and I, that's all just, it's just interesting. Again, there are certain things about the tabernacle that the Bible for some reason doesn't go into, into detail. Like the size of the labor and the covering of the labor and all that sort of stuff. We'll talk about that a little bit more at, at a later time. But it's just interesting. And if you come back up with a better theory than that, then uh, you're, you're welcome to it. So, but there's so many interesting and fascinating things. And then you have right before you go, and I'm going to be closing with this in just a few minutes. But when you go into um, the, before you go into the holy place or the holiest of holies, Exodus 26, 31 says, Thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and vine twine, fine twine linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars of shagdom wood overlaid with gold, their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Thou shalt hang up the veil under the tashes. Amen. The, hood, the little rings there. That thou mayest bring in thither within the veil. The ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide between you and the holy place and the most holy. The veil was a divide. But this item, as I mentioned earlier, that was so separated. Only one person could go. That was the high priest. He could go one time. Um, he could go one time, and that was the Day of Atonement, and, uh, and and everyone else was basically separated from the presence of God. 
But the scripture says this in Hebrews the 10th chapter. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he consecrated us for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Jesus, the veil was a type of Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew, amen, 15 and 38, and the veil of the temple, this is when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. Here's what happened. When Jesus, I believe, said, it is finished, it's all of the sudden, the veil that separated everybody else from the presence of God split right down the middle. The broken body of Jesus Christ. The veil was a type of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And when that happened, amen, we've got boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Once again, I'm going to close. All those colors. Blue, son of God. Red, son of man. Purple, God with us. Cherubims, the throne room of God. Here was Jesus. They had no idea what that meant. They had no idea what it meant. And I, I, I'm surprised a little bit when you think about it because the priest, there's a story. Now, I, I admit, I've been unable to find this documentation. There's some interesting little stories that go around about the uh, tabernacle that unfortunately I, I can't find. It's not biblical, but I can't find documentation or I haven't yet. Um, supposedly, for instance, one thing is, is supposedly uh, when the priest went into the holiest of holies that they would put a rope around his feet, around his ankle, and, and he would walk in and begin to minister before the Ark of the Covenant. And if, uh, if he fell down because God struck him down, they would hear the rattling of the bells and then all would be silent and they'd pull him out. Supposedly. I've never found documentation for that. Another piece of thing, uh, uh, another little legend or story says that in Solomon's temple and in Herod's temple, that the, that the veil itself, now this, this may have some more, um, some more, you know, legitimacy to it. The veil itself was so thickly woven that it was as thick as a man's hand, probably six inches deep in there. It was very, very thick. And so it was not, an, it wasn't by accident. It had to be a supernatural thing when it was split from top to bottom. Amen. But the thing about it is, and this also is, is maybe Jewish tradition, probably not Jewish tradition, but a story that is told. It may have been Josephus that told this, that after the veil was split, that the priest came back in and sewed it back up. I don't care how much you sew it back up. The cat's out of the bag. I don't care what you do. It's done over. Jesus opened up the door at that point. And he said, Whosoever will drink of the water of life freely. Amen. My body has been broken. The blood has been shed. Amen. 
Amen. God who became flesh purchased the church with his blood. The veil was split. The ark was opened up. And I don't know if there were priests in there because not every priest could see the ark. They were like, whoa, what's going on? You see that, Bob? We better show that baby up. Don't bother. Actually, in Herod's temple, there wasn't the ark. It was already gone, more than likely. But it was that stone where they did incense on, called the foundation or whatever it was, stone that they did. Look, oh, oh, we got to cut. And you know what? That's kind of interesting there. Because if they sewed that up, they were sewing it up on something that didn't even mean anything anymore. Right. Amen. I'll tell you what, when Jesus rose, when he died, the gospel, and we'll talk about this, but I'm not going to get into it. What is the gospel? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we apply the gospel in our life? Amen. Amen. What a beautiful thing. We'll talk about that more. In fact, next lesson we'll be getting into that even some more. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy. God, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We lift you up, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness. We praise you, Lord, for your word, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.